that we can offer. All of our lives, all of our beings, and God, this morning as we worship you, we acknowledge your goodness to us. God, before we go anywhere, before we open up your word and, and look at what you have for us, we acknowledge that you are good to us, that you have been so, so generous with us and how you love us, what you've provided for us, that you make a way for us into relationship with you, a way that's not dependent upon ourselves or anything that we can do or our works, but is simply by your grace. God, we worship you for that. We thank you. We ask that as we now look at your word, that you would unpack it for us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to hear from you what you would have for us this morning. May your name be glorified. Okay, this morning I am going to need a little bit of help to get started here. And I'm going to ask for some audience participation, and nobody's going to want to, but I would like to point out that I'm the person standing on the stage with a microphone being videoed and it's on the internet, so at least you can do is help me out and answer my questions, okay? Well, Scott's going to, he says. All right. Okay, so I would like to take a poll on everybody here, and I would like to ask what everybody's favorite season of the year is, okay? So... We will start with winter, which is obviously everybody's least favorite. Who lo- oh. Well, we'll pray for you guys later. Um, after the service, I think there will be an elder down here. There usually is, and you can see them. And uh, How about spring? Who loves spring? Okay, a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, summer. Yeah. Okay, those are God's people right there. And fall. Who loves fall? Yeah, fall's okay, except winter comes afterwards, and so... Yeah. Yeah, I love summer. I absolutely love summer. I love the heat. I love the sunshine, the long days and the long evenings that stretch out. The problem I have is that I'm a Canadian. And summer, right, is like two, maybe three months if I'm lucky, if we have a good June or a great September. That leaves me with nine to ten months of the year to get through until next summer. And so I go into these slumps and I end up in February and I'm going, why do I even live in this country? Um, Why did my parents not choose to emigrate somewhere else? And then summer rolls around again and I'm happy. But sometimes, sometimes, and I don't know whether it's the same for you as me, sometimes my relationship with God feels a little bit like that. I have these summer times when things are great and they're wonderful and I feel close and intimate and I feel the warmth of his presence. And then I have winters and seasons where I feel like God is distant and and I'm praying and he's just not there and he's not hearing me. Does anybody else ever feel that? Thank you. (laughs) Well, I, I don't think we're alone in this, right? I mean, the scripture bears this out. Right? There is plenty of stories and psalms and things like that in the scripture that, that attest to both of those places and both of those positions. The thing with it is, it's kind of in my head. This roller coaster ride of distance between God and closeness to God is actually in my head. See, because the Bible tells a bit of a different story when it talks about God's relationship with me. And so this morning, I'd like us to take a look at that. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please turn in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to spend most of our time in Hebrews 10. We'll kind of jump around a little bit, though. In Hebrews chapter 10, 
And this is going to point us towards, and I, bear with me here, I, this is really cool, I think, what we're going to kind of unpack here and some of the story and some of the background as to what happens here and why the author of the book of Hebrews can write what he does here. But we're going to read, starting in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 19 and read verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And then he goes on. So the writer of Hebrews is, well, he's writing to Hebrews, um, but the Jews, God's people, Jesus' people. And when he writes this, they are reading this and hearing this as it's spoken to them through the lens of being Hebrews, being Jews, being God's people. And so for us to understand it, us to start to get into what he is actually saying here, we need to kind of look at what they, how they would understand this. And so he says, you now, because of what Jesus has done, can have confidence to enter the most holy place. We go, okay, thanks. Can we move on to the application here? I can, I can get to know God. But to a Jew, that was very different. That was pretty radical. That was more than pretty radical. That was incredibly radical. Because the most holy place is part of a place in the tabernacle or, or the temple, depending on what, which period we're talking about here. But in Exodus chapter 26, God gives some directions to Moses when they're building the tabernacle. And he says, this is how I want you to build my dwelling place, where I'm going to live. And we're going to build like this really fancy tent. And within this tent, there is going to be different rooms for different purposes. And one of these rooms is going to be the most special one. It is the most holy place. And in this most holy place, God says, I will live there. That is where I will be. And this room was so special that the high priest, the most important priest out of all of the priests, could go in there one time a year. And to do that one time a year, he had to do a whole bunch of things. And Leviticus chapter 16 talks about that. And he had to make like two sacrifices for himself and he had to put on like special clothes and like wash himself. And then they had like a bunch of other sacrifices that he would go in and make. And this once a year occurrence was the most holy day or the most special day in the Jewish religious calendar, Yom Kippur. It is the day of atonement. And that was the day in which the high priest could enter the most holy place. The only one time, only one person, only one time a year could enter the most holy place. And in verse 34 of Leviticus chapter 16, it says, this is to be a lasting ordinance to you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all of the sins of the Israelites. Now, atonement, the word means, it means reparation for an offense or an injury. That means um, something to make things right when a wrong has been done. So the day of atonement, the high priest is to go and to make atonement, to make things right for the wrongs that had been done for the whole year for both himself, his family, but also the entire nation of Israel. And that was the time in which he could go in. And it says, if you go in any other time, you'll die. You cannot go into the most holy place any other, any other way. So 
High priest would sacrifice, and he would kill a bull and a goat for an atonement for his sins, and he would, they would take like a couple other goats and a bull and sacrifice one of them, and then one of the, one of the goats would be the lucky one, and they'd like make that the scapegoat, you've heard of that, and they'd like send that onto the desert, and he would take the sins of the Israelites out away from them, kind of in a, in a picture for them. And the reason for this needing to happen goes all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis chapter 3. And God there, he says, he outlines, this is the result of if you disobey me, if you sin, if you step outside of my directions, my will for you, that you will be in separated relationship with me. And the result of separated relationship with me is death. And so from then on, like then, you know, the story, Adam and Eve and the apple off the tree or, you know, all of that sort of thing happens. And from then on, in that point on, human beings are in separated relationship from God and death has to happen for any possible reconciliation. So there is this day of atonement, this day where things are made right. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, we now have confidence to enter this most holy place by the blood, by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's really powerful. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is crucified. And at the end, just before when, when he dies, Matthew writes this in verse 51, or 50 and 51. He writes, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that curtain was the thing that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. When Jesus died, at that moment, the curtain, the thing that separated human beings from the most holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus' death tears it in two. Jesus' death destroys the thing that separates human beings from God. And that is what the author of Hebrews is writing about here. That is what he is saying, is we have confidence. We can have confidence to enter this most holy place, the place in which before this, you would die if you weren't the high priest that went in once a year with all your special sacrifices. But now we, we can enter that with confidence because Jesus' death has torn the curtain in two, has torn the separation between man and God for good. Now, we, we're Jesus' followers. We've accepted his death, his substitutionary death on our behalf. If we have done that, we now have direct access to the very presence of God. The author of Hebrews goes on. Verse 21, he says, And since we have a great priest 
over the house of God. We have a priest. We have a great priest, not the old high priest. Now we have the great high priest. The priest's job was to stand between man and God and to be the intermediary. And he's saying, we now have the best possible intermediary, the one that has actually torn the veil in the temple in two and opened up access to God for us. Since we now have that, we can live in a new way. There is a series, starting in verse 22, there is a series of four let us statements. Because we can now confidently enter the presence of God, this most holy place that human beings could not enter before this. We, we were just singing, just, to, just I, to draw out and focus on how important that is. We were just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And those words, and a lot of that is pulled right out of Scripture. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is taken and he has a vision and he sees God in his temple. He sees God in his most holy place. And there's holy, holy, holy. And the walls of the temple shake and it's filled with smoke. And he isn't like, yeah, this is awesome. He is terrified, absolutely terrified. And he falls down and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. It comes from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. He acknowledges that, that to be in God's presence in this way is not something he was almost, we were made for it, but our sin has broken that. And that's what Jesus has done here. And so he says, because of this, the author of Hebrews, because we can now enter into this place that human beings could not have entered into before, because we can confidently do this, he says, let us do these new things. So let's read them, starting in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Right at the beginning, that whole summer and you know winter thing in my summer relationship with God, my winter relationship with God, and I said, that's false. That's just in my head. It's not actually a reality. Because I can draw near. We, you can draw near. We can draw near to God at any time because of what Jesus has done. Not because of how I feel at the moment or what's going on in the world around me or what people are saying to me or any persecution or bad things or difficulties or struggles or great things I'm going through. Those are not the things that now define my relationship with God. No, the thing that defines my relationship with God is that torn veil in the temple that is open to me. I can draw near to God, I can make an intentional choice to get close to him. And to do so, we need a sincere heart, a heart that's genuine. We can't be wishy-washy about our relationship with God. We have to be all in. We can do it in full assurance of our faith. We have full assurance in what Jesus has done for us. We can trust wholeheartedly in that. And we have to have our bodies washed with pure water, our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And this looks back and kind of alludes back to what happened in the, t in, the, in the temple of the tabernacle when the priest went in once a year. He'd sprinkle some blood on the altar, and that sprinkling of blood on the altar would be like part of the um, forgiveness of the sins process. 
happen. And so he's saying, you know, if you are forgiven, if you have had your heart sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, if you are forgiven and underneath of that, then you can and should draw near to God with confidence. Second thing that the author of Hebrews says we should do as a result of being able to enter the most holy place with confidence is to hold unswervingly to the hope you professed, for he who promised is faithful. A.W. Tozer um, once said, the Christian is a holy rebel, loose in the world with access to the throne of God. Satan never knows from what direction danger will come. Because Jesus has opened a way, we have access to God's presence. But that also means something. It also means that we have an enemy. It means we have an enemy that is out to destroy us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. See, we can do this, and we can be that holy rebel that Tozer wrote about because we know that God is faithful. We can hold unswervingly to a hope, no matter what happens to us, because what God has said he will do, he will do. We have this story, right, of, of how God has said things and what he would do, and him doing it, and him doing it, and him doing it, and making new ways, where ways weren't, like, everybody looked at it, and there's a way not possible here, and God makes a way. He is faithful. And if we were to read on and read Hebrews chapter 11, we have this story of by faith, and all of these stories of people who walked by faith, believing what God said, trusting that he would be faithful to them and holding on to the hope that he'd given to them. Then there's two more lettuce statements. And they're about our relationship with others. Verse 24, he says, and let us, because of what's happened, because we have confidence into the most holy place, let us Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, that's really interesting because all we've been talking about, it seems like this vertical relationship, a relationship between us as human beings and God and the new way he's opened it up for us to have a relationship with him. And now the author of Hebrews, he pivots and he says, well, it also affects your relationship with people. And that's really interesting. But it's kind of in line with what Scripture teaches. Not kind of, but kind of. It actually is in line with what Scripture teaches. See, in the, in the instructions for the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16 that we talked about and what the uh, high priest needed to do and what the Jews needed to do, um, there is this instruction. It's verse 29. It says, on this day, on this Day of Atonement, you must deny yourselves. The command to all the nation of Israel was to deny yourself to fast. And they took it very seriously. In fact, they still take it very seriously. Um, they don't eat or drink and didn't eat or drink for 24 hours. It was a 24-hour period, no eating, no drinking, so that they could focus on what God had done for them and what God was going to do for them in this atonement. See, but in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and 7, about 700 years later, 
God speaking to the prophet Isaiah to the same nation, to the same group of people. He says to them, they, they'd, they'd follow the rules and they'd, they'd done the fasting and done all of that. And they're like, hey, God, where are you? You know, and there's a few conversations like that in, in the scripture, but where are you? What? You know, we, we do all the things, we're doing the fasting. And God says this, he says, is not this kind of fasting, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? See, God cares deeply about people. Not just about our eternal position, although that is the most important thing. He cares about what happens right here and right now in our lives, in people's lives. And if we're going to be his people and we're going to live in his presence in this most holy place, we need to reflect his character in how we love and how we care for others. And that's what, that's what God pointed out to the Israelites in Isaiah through um, the prophet. And they're saying, God, you're not coming through for us. We're doing all the things. And he says, you're not. You're not reflecting my character. You're not valuing people. You're not loving them. And the author of Hebrews picks up on this. And he says, if we can do this, if we now are able to enter into this most holy place in this new way of relating to God, in this new depth of relationship with God that human beings have never been able to do before this, if we can, we need to reflect his character. And so he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us encourage as together as the body, as the people who God is, the, Jesus is the great high priest for, as those people, as that group of people, let us encourage one another to do good deeds and to love people. Finally, the last let us statement. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Just don't stop meeting together and encourage one another. Oh, that's great. We're all here in church, Jamie. Check that box. Got that one off. I don't think that's what he means. Don't think the author of Hebrews is saying, show up in church every Sunday and you're good. And you're going to reflect this new reality of relationship between God and man. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, be in a place, in a body of believers where you know and are known. And to be in a place where you know and are known and are willing to be vulnerable and to encourage and to be encouraged. It's not high five encouragement. It's not like, Way to go, Jamie. You know, way to go. Whatever your name is, you put your pants on today. That's not the sort of thing that he's talking about. What he's saying is an encouragement as in, you can do this. You may be facing something difficult right now. You might be going through a hard time or a great time or whatever, but whatever you're going through, I will encourage you and you will encourage me to walk through it in a manner that reflects the nature and character of God and brings glory to him.
Jesus, by his death and his resurrection, changed the very nature of how we as human beings relate to God. We now have the privilege of knowing God face to face. I'm going to call the worship team. I should have done that before I started there. Um, we now have the privilege of knowing God face to face. Friends, we can now enter into the most holy place, the place that, that for thousands of years of human history, human beings couldn't go into. We couldn't. We would die. Jesus made a new way for us to enter into that. And we are called to live out of that new reality, to draw near to God, to choose to enter into deep personal relationship with him, to hold unswervingly to hope, no matter what goes on around us, no matter what comes against us, to hang on to the hope that we have in that, to care for people and to encourage one another to care for people and to know and to be known. Right? All the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross, and thank you for what you did on the cross for us. Thank you for creating a new way for us to relate to you, a way that isn't dependent upon the blood of sheep and goats and rams and, and, and sacrifices that were never enough, but instead a new way that is based on the once and for all death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. God, as we live in that new reality, would you remind us and encourage us through your Holy Spirit's work in our lives to live out of that? Would no matter what goes on, whether we're in the summer or a winter of our walk with you, God, would we remember that and live out of a new confidence that we have to enter your presence and to be transformed by you?